and welcome to the very first Cult Movie Cult Holiday Special. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And grab your eggnog, put another log on the fire, and don't pick up the phone, because today we're talking about 1974's Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas, starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Black Christmas follows the story of a group of sorority girls on Christmas break who begin to receive creepy and malicious phone calls from an anonymous man. At first, they think it's a joke, but when their sorority sisters begin to go missing, they realize that they may be in grave danger. Yes. That is the basic premise here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this movie is an interesting one, and I'm glad we're, we're doing it for our first uh, holiday special. We decided it would be a little timely for once, uh, Jeremy, <laughs> with the remake coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, pr- I'm very proud of us for, for doing this. Yes, we're not get, usually getting ahead of the ball. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, this was actually your idea, and because we were originally going to do um, Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 and 2, mm-hmm. And which we will do eventually on one of these holiday specials, but mm-hmm. um, because the remake is coming out, the second remake is coming out in uh, just a few days here. Actually, uh, it's coming out, yeah, in about three days. Uh, it's coming out December 13th, I believe, mm-hmm. of 2019. So um, we decided we'd do an episode on Black Christmas, the original from 1974, like you said, directed by Bob Clark. Yes. So where to begin with this movie? A lot to unpack here, um, for sure. This is This is a movie that is kind of become a real cult film over time, like a lot of movies we've discussed on this podcast, wasn't a huge hit when it first came out. Um, For sure. But had its following. This is actually a Canadian film, um, which is fun. Um, I, I definitely have a special place in my heart for Canadian slasher movies. I've definitely seen yep. a few of them that are favorites of mine, which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. because in my mind on a certain level, the idea of the slasher is such a like an American thing. But today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of where some of these movies came from. Um, Because Black Christmas, before we actually get into the plot, um, this movie is really, really influential from the very first shot of the film, which is a POV shot from the point of view of the killer, which for fans of the slasher genre would recognize that um, as being the opening shot of another famous slasher film, or perhaps the famous slasher Mm -hmm. film, Halloween, directed by John Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah, when when that scene happened, the first thing that came to mind was, oh, they're doing the Halloween thing, and then, and then I realized this came out much before yeah, like four uh, years, Halloween right? came out. Yeah, yeah, so that was my fault. But yeah, I I was kind of blown away, honestly. I mean, because Halloween is thought to be uh, one of the first uh, of what we think of today as a slasher film, mm-hmm. um, even though there are movies that came out before it that were sort of considered slasher films but mm-hmm. um halloween is is what many people consider to be the first one so that came out 1979 mm-hmm. uh this came out in 1974 so they were ahead of the curve there and i think they were doing some pretty wild ideas and things that hadn't really been seen before um and i'm sure pov has been done in movies you know mm-hmm. countless times but in this particular film um the way it's done um it's very reminiscent of the uh, which I want to talk about a little bit, but the, the Giallo films of like of, of uh, Dario Argento uh, and people like that who would, you know, you see the hands of the killer mm-hmm. and every, you never really see the killer uh, because it's a mystery. So throughout the film, you're seeing everything from the killer's point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, not everything, but you're seeing the... A lot of it, yeah. The, yeah, the moments of the killing and whatnot um, from the killer's point of view. So you see a lot of that here. You never actually see the killer. Um, you may see like glimpses of them in the mm-hmm. background and things like that, but... You never really find out who it is. Yeah, but you're never we'll confronted with it. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so like we said, the beginning of this movie kind of starts with this POV shot. Um, it, it, it is it, What I really liked about it, um, kind of first off, is just how they draw you into the world of this film. 
Um, yeah. It's a really kind of like, like like I feel like it kind of gets Christmas in a weird way, which is something you know. There's a lot of movies about holidays um, Mm -hmm. that feel like they're kind of over the top. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it doesn't feel forced in this movie. Yeah, it it doesn't. It's just a part of the scene or a part of the. Yeah, like it feels like it's it's a movie that you can watch any time of the year, and it's still going to be a good movie. It just happens to be set on Christmas. Whereas a lot of movies, you know, I, I feel like have to be specifically like, oh, it's a Christmas movie. We're going to watch it around Christmas. But this mm-hmm. one, you know, the, the setting is Christmas, but there's nothing uh, so specifically Christmassy about yeah. it that it's, there's no killer Santa. Like, in, yeah, there's nothing like that. Movies, it just it's yeah. just it's just the, that time of year, which creates mm-hmm. this kind of cold, destitute environment. You know, the fact that they're on break makes it seem like they're a little more stranded. Mm-hmm. Um, right from the beginning, um, yeah, and and then the, also that you know some of these characters are like a little tipsy. The whole movie <laughs> yeah. also creates this like this this yeah. layer of danger, but it's also this funny little Christmas thing because it's like like this feels like the holiday season, you know? Like they have mm-hmm. the the sorority mother in this mm-hmm. film, who um, I believe that role. I actually read that that role of the sorority mother was originally offered to Betty White, but she turned it down. Oh wow! Um, which would have been a really Really interesting. I mean, yeah. if, if this movie wasn't enough of a cult movie, that would have <laughs> that would have really taken it to another yeah. level. But but mm-hmm. this idea, it's like it's kind of like this weird surrogate family around the holidays, and each mm-hmm. character kind of fills their own little niche of like who they are and where they fit in. Um, so when these calls start coming in, you you kind of immediately get this really rich characterization and feel like you know these people. Um, it kind of challenges the thing that we go on to see in a lot of '80s slasher movies where there's just kind of like your one main character who's like the good girl and then everybody else is kind of like a ditzy or sexually promiscuous, but like they don't really have any characterization where like all of these characters felt, you know, human and interesting yeah. and I wanted to see what was going to happen to them and where they would go. Definitely. They felt very lived in, like very lived in characters. And mm-hmm. Margot Kidder especially um, is in the film and she's she has a very naturalistic way of mm-hmm. acting. And I thought that gave it a lot of depth and it kind of brought it to another level, like you said. Um, it could have just been a run-of-the-mill, hey, it's Christmas and throwing a bunch of Christmas-themed <laughs> things in your face or you know, iconography and stuff. But it's really mm-hmm. just more of like a feel. Yeah. Like they're, they're having a Christmas party, but you know, just the way it's lit and you know, the different things that are going on just gives it that feel of, of Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there just happens to be a you know, homicidal maniac stalking yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Who, so the first thing that he does this killer is he makes a call and that's pretty much what starts off the events of the movie um so it's during this holiday party where they receive a a phone call from a stranger um which is now sort of a trope that you see a lot i mean Mm -hmm. it was lampooned uh famously in scream in the scream movies yeah but you know this was still a little early on in these types of films so Mm -hmm. and i thought you know the phone call itself it can come off as a little silly and like a little over the top, but yeah. it also has a way of being a little creepy. I thought because yeah, it, yeah, the things that he's saying and, and he's just really, uh, yeah, really going for it. it well, the... it's just so explicit and so kind of twisted yeah. that like yeah. you almost laugh at it, but then you kind of put yourself in the shoes of being in that situation and mm-hmm. realize how absolutely horrifying it would be to get a phone call like that. Well, he sounds unhinged. Like, yeah. He sounds uh, completely deranged. Yeah, he kind of sounds like like the Joker in Batman or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But like something way like crazy, that, yeah. like way, like not a, like an yeah. evil genius mastermind, mm-hmm. just someone who's just totally flown off the handle and yeah. has absolutely nothing to lose, including right. his mind, which is already far out the window. And at first it is kind of almost funny, like it's, cause mm-hmm. it's kind of ridiculous the things that he's saying and, you know, Margot Kidder's character is having a good time with it and kind of giving him stuff back and... Um, but eventually he keeps going with it and yeah, he gets pretty, um, uh, pretty explicit with some of the stuff he says and, uh, it, it kind of takes off from there and they, they realize that this might be someone who has more on his mind than just like a prank phone call. Like mm-hmm. he's, you know, so, um, that's when the, the uneasy feeling begins and all the characters are, are kind of on edge from there on out. Yeah. It's also interesting too. Um, just, just talking about, cause what's, what's so interesting to me about this movie is, is as we talked about right at the beginning of the podcast here, this was kind of a precursor to the slasher, but in a way is a slasher movie. Like, it, it kind of follows the formula, but it really... Not a very high body count, but it definitely has moments. Yeah, that, well, yeah. and there are plenty of good slasher movies that don't have, you know, a high body true. count. But, but what, what's interesting is that, like, all of the things that 
personally, I have like gripes, and I love the slasher genre. I've watched so many slasher movies; it's one of my oh, favorite yeah. genres. Just because I find it to be like purely a cinematic thing, it's all about mm-hmm. creating suspense. It's all about you know putting you on the edge of your seat, which is just super fun to watch, um, mm-hmm. regardless of all the kind of subversive stuff that you know thirty years later we look at now and are kind of not as fond mm-hmm. fond of. Um, but but this movie, what I one thing that I really enjoyed about it is a lot of the things that I find kind of trite or played out in slasher movies this movie seemed to avoid um for example i could be wrong here but i'm pretty sure we don't actually see anyone get murdered on screen um not that i can recall yeah you may see exactly right after it but you don't really see the actual act of the killing. yeah you, you see the aftermath but i think what that does is it keeps it in this kind of like psychological space yeah. Um, where well, it, Bob Clark did say he considered this more of a psychological uh, horror film rather than a slasher film. A slasher, yeah, which I totally which get. I can definitely see, yeah. Because I think it, it never let itself become about the how how you could violently murder mm-hmm. these people. Yeah, the most creative ways that characters yeah. can get killed. Like, like it, and, the, and the ways they were murdered was really creative. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the, you know, it, it wasn't violence porn. It was like, mm-hmm. it, it was about how you kind of got there. It was about the feeling but then all of a sudden they were gone. And, and what's interesting yeah. with that is it kind of puts you in the position in a way of like the uh, of the main character mm-hmm. um, played by Olivia Hussey of Romeo and Juliet fame. Um, right. But it kind of puts you in her shoes in a way, not directly, obviously, because she wasn't yeah. finding these bodies right away. But in the sense that if you were in a situation where something like this is happening, all you're seeing is the aftermath. You yeah. know, and you don't know what's happened and your imagination has mm-hmm. to kind of wander and you have to piece together you know, what happened to these people. And, and I think that's a lot scarier maybe than seeing it yeah. happen. The very first death we don't see at all. We actually yeah. just see the, the body afterwards mm-hmm. um, in, in the plastic dress bag. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's not really much violence in the film. And that kind of uh, differentiates it from Giallo films, which mm-hmm. are very over the top. and Extremely violent stylistically bloody and violent mm-hmm. um, which is great in its own right but yeah. uh, just not this kind of film this is more psychological I think so mm-hmm. and, and more at- atmospheric I would say as mm-hmm. well um, yeah this, this does it in, this does it in a, like a kind of more sly way it, it, you, yeah. you, you have it the, creeps up on you yeah, yeah you have the feeling of violence I would think about it um, if, if we talk about a movie like uh, Reservoir Dogs or something like mm-hmm. that where you, when you think back to it it feels like it was this really violent movie but you realize mm-hmm. that there's only actually about a minute yeah. to two minutes of actual violence in the whole movie. It's actually um, a very, uh, very restrained film. Yeah, I, I realize. Yeah, yeah, or, or a Hitchcock, a Hitchcock movie, and I'm sure mm-hmm. Hitchcock was an influence on this. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's it's the same thing. Which Hitchcock probably was kind of acting in that way more because of the censors that he had to get around. Yeah. Um, but where you know there were some really crazy violent things that would happen in a Hitchcock movie, even in what's probably his what I think is probably his most violent movie, which is Psycho, with the shower scene. Like, you never actually see her get stabbed at any point. Right. It's, um, a, it's the human mind that fills in the blanks. And yeah, it's, it's think an implication. Right. Um, which, which is really interesting. I don't know, especially for the 70s, which was a time when it, I think a lot of filmmakers were really trying to push the boundaries of what they could show on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had a lot of filmmakers experimenting with extreme violence, nudity... Yeah you know, profanity, like a drug use, all they're just like really pushing those things for the first time. And mm-hmm. this film was so reserved, but like it felt a lot crazier. You know, like it felt like they mm-hmm. went a lot further than a lot of those movies. Yeah. For some for sure. weird reason. But yeah, this movie, um, there's not many actual murders depicted. Uh, and really, like I, I mentioned body count, because usually with when you think of slasher film, you think of, like mm-hmm. we said, all the creative ways that the characters get killed off. But yeah, in this movie, it's very much, uh, it's almost the opposite in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more the in-between moments that we're focusing on. Yeah. And um, there are some scenes, uh, well, I want to, well, I guess I'll talk about it now with mm-hmm. the um, spoilers again. Yeah, always. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, always spoilers. Um, Margot Kidder's character, Barbara, um, she, I thought her death was the, maybe because it's the one we see the most of but mm-hmm. um, the one that I thought was the most memorable uh, and the the imagery of it was really something uh, she she has a stabbing death and it's juxtaposed with children singing carols outside mm-hmm. and there's glass breaking and it was, it's very stylish uh, a very giallo uh, death yep. actually mm-hmm. um, and I thought that moment was was really well done and almost uh, very artistically done for a 
for a murder scene. <laughs> yeah. No, um, it, was, it was pretty beautiful. Yeah. So like, you know, the murder scenes that are, that are there, um, I feel like we're done very well mm-hmm. and skillfully. Um, but yeah, you don't see too much. Mostly it's the calls. So they're, you know, so these sorority sisters are receiving these mysterious calls from the stranger who is, uh, being very, uh, overly descriptive in certain Mm -hmm. sexual acts and making pig noises and just being generally just despicable. Mm -hmm. Um, and so obviously right after this, um, not only does one of their own girls go missing, but they learn of uh, another girl that's gone missing as well, and they start to put pieces together. And with the help of the police, they um, they start to try to figure out what's going on. And uh, the rest of the movie kind of goes into more of like a mystery, um, you know, who done it, who the killer is, mm-hmm. and of course, there's the red herring of uh, the main character of Jess, who's played by Olivia Hussey, mm-hmm. um, her boyfriend, um, because uh, you know we're led to believe um, because he so she gets ends up getting pregnant and um she wa- so i believe she wants to have the baby but he does not right so they get into oh no no she she does oh, not no, i'm sorry she does not want to have the i'm baby. sorry she, she does wants not to. yeah yeah, yeah which see. is actually really progressive for a 1970s movie so she does not want to have the baby but he does right mm-hmm. and you're right it's very progressive um especially for this time to see that so yeah it was mm-hmm. interesting kind of flips it on its head a little bit and um so they have this disagreement and argument and you know, just little clues here and there, and they start. The police, the lieutenant, starts to put these pieces together, and her boyfriend Peter mm-hmm. is uh, the one who is suspected to be the caller and also the killer of these women, these young women. And uh, so that's what we're led to believe for for like the latter half of the film. And um, so the ending is is really, uh, I guess we'll get into that now because we, you know, there's not too much plot to talk about. There's a lot of back and forth with the police and. Um, Basically, it gets to the point where we we're all but sh- certain that it is Peter, that Peter is the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get to that ending scene where um, so Jess actually confronts him, and they have a confrontation. And um, he actually the well the killer chases Jess through the house. We don't see again. We don't see who the killer is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she locks so Jess locks herself in the cellar, and Peter appears outside one of the windows. He smashes a window, climbs in, and she bludgeons him with a poker mm-hmm. and because she's, you know, she's assuming he's a killer, obviously. Um, so then the police arrive because she's screaming and they discover her, you know, in the, in the basement, barely conscious on the floor and um, with Peter's bloody body next to her. And, you know, they they take her and discuss the murders and all that. And the movie ends with her being left in the house by the police. And cause the policemen are outside now and, we believing think everything that is, the problem is yeah, solved. Believing yeah. that everything is, you know, over and done with and mm-hmm. we have a happy ending. But because it's a horror movie, there's never a happy ending, right? So mm-hmm. um, we see that the killer is still alive and he actually climbs down uh, from the attic and creeps into a room where, where Jess is, mm-hmm. uh, where she's staying in the house. So, um, And that's when the telephone begins to ring again and the credits start to roll. So we don't know what happens from there we can assume something not great mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know and it's kind of a, a downer ending and it's it's kind of uh dark because yeah. she is she is pregnant at the time yeah um so yeah it's it's kind of a, an interesting and i thought it was very interesting because it, you're not really supposed to know who the killer is and that's no. the main point of it is what kind of what they were going for mm-hmm. is that it could be anyone and we still don't know yeah and and really doesn't matter you know it's it, it could just be a random stranger which is um, so scary like which you, is the scariest thing of all yeah you know it's like when you, when you have a horror movie that just gives you all the answers and you know by the end you know who the killer is you know why yeah. they did it yeah. like that that's scary. everything's explained it's like it's scary but like like it's a lot to me. It's a lot. Like the scariest thing in the world is when you're walking down a street late at night, mm-hmm. on you're all alone and it's dark yeah. out. And it's the it's not like that. It's not the idea that someone who you know could come out and mug mm-hmm. you or something like that. It's the idea that you know you don't know what could pop up out of anywhere and you have no knowledge of who it is or what it is. And you know mm-hmm. what I mean. It, it, it's the unknown, yeah. which is scary. And the fact that we never find out who this killer is. Like mm-hmm. makes it really frightening, especially because at one point there is a shot of the killer. Um, we we mm-hmm. do get one shot, but it's it's kind of lit in a way where we, we see he kind of looks like Peter, the boyfriend. But so so mm-hmm. it's it's clearly a young man, 
which means it's probably someone on the college campus. Yeah. Um, one of the college students, which is extra particularly frightening because we're never shown him, which means that, you know, it's not, it's not this, you know, like a scary old man. It's not, you mm. know, it, it, it's, it's a young person who's, who's just kind of doing, doing this, his thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, like you said, it's much more unsettling to know not, you know, to not know who that person is. It's just, it just makes it, um, it makes it stay with you a little bit more. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. And the suspense is done so beautifully too, that by the time you get that, it's a real payoff. Um, particularly mm-hmm. one moment that I really, really, really loved was when Jess was running from the killer and she goes into the basement and the killer is shaking this basement door, hitting it, trying to get it open and he can't get it open. And it's like intense, you know, it's loud. And then all of a sudden he just stops and just mm-hmm. walks away. Yeah. And it's the most horrifying moment, um, not, and it, which is, is kind of counterintuitive because generally, you know, the rule of thumb is that when you're building suspense, you're generally trying to keep it going as long as possible. You know, like, like a conventional way of doing that in a suspense way is he's pounding the door, he's pounding the door, he's pounding the door, and then he kicks it down, and then you go on to your next suspenseful moment. But what's so beautiful about this is it's, it's like he's pounding the door, he's pounding the door, and then he stops. But you have no clue why he stopped. And for the same reason why it's scary not knowing who the killer is, at the end, it's scary in that moment, not knowing why he stopped, because it's like, well, what's he doing? You yeah. know, is he going to come around to another, which obviously that's the mis. Well, then the Jess assumes that he's the one, yeah, uh, coming into the window. So but, then that's why she, but I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it definitely yeah. Um, creates more suspense because you're like, what is he doing out there? Yeah, <laughs> what is he, he doing out there? So like, quiet, what kind yeah. of deranged thing right. is he doing with this door closed? Mm-hmm. Is he going to burn the house down? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, there, there's well, just we don't this, know. Because we don't know anything about him, he, yeah. this character is capable of anything. Of anything, yeah. And that's what makes it so crazy because, you know, instead of m- trying to make a, a villain who's relatable and mm-hmm. that we see his point of view and all of that, well, we do see his point of view, but <laughs> we don't see, uh, we see his visual point of view. Um, so that, But that's all we get. We don't know anything else about him. Um, and yeah. that, like we said, makes it a lot more scarier and yeah. a, a lot a lot more eerie. Well, in the same um, way that as we talk about the influence of this movie that a Michael Myers character, obviously... You know, all of the sequels to the Halloween movies explain the Michael Myers lore mm-hmm. oh, right, right. to the point of Which oblivion. Ignored in the new remake. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's like in the first one, if you go back and watch that movie, other than the fact that this little kid kills his, you know, sister mm-hmm. and a bunch of people in the first Babysitter scene. And, yeah, the baby, yeah. Like, you don't really know a lot about this killer. Right. And that's what makes him so scary because yeah. you understand that the main characters have some kind of connection to him, but he yeah. seems to not have any sentimentality about who he's choosing to kill or why. Right. Um, and it, it seems random, and I think that's what's so scary, and what's so scary about this. Um, yeah, because in the, in the second Halloween, they reveal that it's really Laurie's uh, brother, Yeah. right? So, yeah, and that makes it, you know, I mean, that gives it a connection and a backstory, but sometimes you don't you don't need that. You don't need I it, yeah. Like, it's it's scarier yeah. sometimes for it to just feel random and out of place yeah. and frightening. And scarier to not see certain things, like much like the shark in Jaws, you know, you don't yeah. see it for most of the movie and it's uh, to me one of the scariest you know monsters on film so mm-hmm. um yeah so it just speaks to what what the filmmakers were going for here and they really were going for that more psychological yeah. angle um and i did want to discuss the filmmakers because well bob clark is mm-hmm. is the director of the film and uh we have a very different kind of christmas movie from him <laughs> so he's he's known for a christmas story which mm-hmm. came out later actually in 1983 um, and A Christmas Story is, uh, you know, it's a certified classic. People love that movie. Um, they show it 24 hours on TV. I don't know if they still do that, but I know they used to yeah, on Christmas. And people love it, and they'll just watch it over and over, and there's certain scenes and moments from it that are just iconic. And um, A Christmas Story definitely has that black humor to it, mm-hmm. though obviously this is a, a bit different being yeah. an R-rated horror movie. Um, and Bob Clark also directed Porky's 1 and 2, um, after Black Christmas, and actually around the same time as Black Christmas, he did direct another horror-themed film called Dead of Night, which I have not seen, but I was reading about it. And uh, so really the, the films he made that were aimed at children came later. So with A, a Christmas Story, and um, he also made Baby Geniuses 1 and 2. Legendary. <laughs> Legend- <laughs> the legendary films. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the canonized <laughs> shiny examples of the pinnacle of the art of cinema. Yes. Baby Geniuses 1 and 2. <laughs> Hey, maybe they are brilliant. I no, no, they probably that, are. I haven't you know? seen <laughs> I mean, this is brilliant, so I don't doubt it. Yeah. But. Well, he was, he's a very, yeah, he's capable of making great films, uh, mm-hmm. as we've seen, so you never know. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but do you, so, you know, thinking uh, about A Christmas Story and 
what Bob Clark is most known for, I mean, do you think there are echoes of his earlier films in his most known work in A Christmas Story? Do you think, you know, um, can you can you draw connections between that or is it completely... It's, it's hard for me to say because it's been years and years and years since I've seen Same. A Christmas Story. But Same. what I do remember of it, I remember it being kind of suspenseful in like a fun way. Um, yeah, and like I said, it has that, that black humor too. Yeah, it. like the dark humor. So yeah, so I could definitely see it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're talking about very different genres, yeah, um, and kind of what he's working with here. But yeah, I, I mean, I think I think in any filmography, there's going to be traces of the filmmaker in everything mm-hmm. they touch. Yeah, um, it would it would be interesting. I'd like to I'd like to go in and rewatch it now. Actually, yeah, um, and it is. Str- I mean, you can't you can't get around the fact that it is it's bizarre that he went from yeah you know these R rated movies because so you know there's this film which is an R rated horror movie and then the Porky's movies which are R rated mm-hmm. uh, you know like teen gross out movies or whatever you want to call them um, so he went from those films to this children's film but I do think there is adult humor in a, a Christmas Story mm-hmm. I, again I haven't seen it in a while either but yeah. um, I do remember there being things like that in there and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if he was trying to reach a different audience or if this was just a project that was brought to him and he just, you know, yeah. he thought he, he'd give it a shot. Or maybe, um, he had, I mean, I don't know too much into his life, but maybe, you know, maybe he had kids or something too. You know, I've definitely. Right. Yeah. You never know. I mean, this yeah. was later in life it, that came out in, um, in 84, which, like said, which isn't so. that much. It's all, it's 10 years later. It's not like it was like two totally different I'm eras. Sorry. 83. It's not even a decade after Black Christmas. Yeah. So it's not like we're talking about, you know, like it's not a lot 30 of time, years but it, passing. But Yeah. But also, you know, 10 years or whatever, mm-hmm. nine years, a lot could happen. But yeah, yeah no, I, know, I know what you're saying. Like it, it's um, but either way, it's interesting um, to go from one to the other. And he did make another horror film, like I said, around the same time as Black Christmas. So um, there's that as well. I, I haven't seen that film, but I'm, I'm interested to check it out. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, based off this, I, I do kind of wish he made more horror films because I really enjoyed this. And I, I think he did want to make a sequel to this or something in the same vein as this uh, afterwards. But like we said, this film didn't do too well. So yeah. um, he wasn't really able to do that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so as it yeah. is sometimes with directors in the movie industry where, you know, mm-hmm. if something doesn't hit, mm-hmm. move on to something else. Yeah. Um, and that's maybe maybe that's just what happened here because then he went to the teen comedies and mm-hmm. and then to a, a a family film yeah which is fine I mean you know directors are free to <laughs> make whatever movies yeah. they want no, I, I mean, just find it you know I find it interesting yeah it, it is rather bizarre because a lot of directors like you'll see directors make kids movies mm-hmm. but it kind of it sometimes feels like it's just like a brief little departure you know like yeah. you'll you'll see like Martin Scorsese do Hugo. Right, you know like what I mean, but shoot, yeah. but it still feels like you know it's part of his filmography and it fits in, mm-hmm. but it kind of feels like an offshoot. It doesn't feel like it's like like when you're talking. Yeah. Even though I think that actually probably is one of Scorsese's best movies. Yeah, it's a um, really good movie. Yeah, it's terrific. But you know, it's, it's not. You're not going to sit there and talk about it with Goodfellas and you know yeah. now The Irishman as we talk right. here in December and of also, 2019. Yeah, and also it's all labels as well. I mean, it, yeah. You know, because to call it a kids movie or a family movie, I mean, it's still just a film at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. You know, whether but it, it's geared toward, you know, but it, but it does just another. yeah, but it does just seem like a rather large jump, right? For this particular <laughs> director, it just, it just yeah, seems from like, psycho killer to yeah, like a like yeah. a real one eighty. To getting um, your tongue stuck on a, yeah, a pole, a pole. Yeah. Which, which could be an interesting, you know. Thing yeah, to add yeah. to a psycho killer movie, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Actually, uh, has know. that been done before? That's a good. I don't idea. know. Yeah, they, <laughs> maybe we need to make a Christmas story. You know, a, a, a black Christmas story. Yeah, or recut the trailer, maybe. <laughs> yeah, a mashup. Yeah, um, um, like the opposite of the Shining trailer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, one thing I, d- I did want to talk about with this, be- because you know, I mean, it's come up a couple times in this episode already. Um, but you know, kind of the idea of the the slasher formula that was developed later on and used through most of the 1980s. Um, And one thing that is kind of always in those slasher movies, or almost always, is, and and as we talk about the the remake of this movie, which we'll get to in just a minute here, is particularly in the roles for women in these movies, is that they they kind of fit into very cliched roles that we get seen over and over again. So you have, you know, the main character who's the final girl, who's kind of the... The Virgin Mary type, you know, just perfect, can do no wrong, mm-hmm. but for some reason is just surrounded by a bunch of really sexually promiscuous, wild, over-the-top people, and it's kind of like the, the the most promiscuous young woman would get killed in the most violent way, and at the end of the day, the final girl survives, 
Um, which what I think was really interesting about this movie is that our main character, the one we're made to relate to the most, is not only pregnant, which means, you know, she is sexually active, but like she she wants to have an abortion, which makes her, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in the 70s, we're talking about a time when like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist were kind of the, the pinnacle of horror, which means that there was definitely still kind of a Christian... Yeah. you know, wholesome, like, like that, what scared people was this idea of the devil and, you know, mm-hmm. and demons. And so this idea of a character that we're not, that, that we're not only supposed to follow, but we're supposed to like, who's mm-hmm. wanting to get an abortion. Um, and, and she's the one we're kind of rooting for is yeah. really, really subversive, even for today. You know, I, yeah, I, I think in a sure. horror, like in a horror movie today, I think that would even still to, to this day be a hard sell. But like, I find mm-hmm. her to be a really likable character. A lot of that, I think due to, Olivia Hussey's performance, which I, yeah, I absolutely love that we have great, this yeah. sorority girl with an accent who kind of sounds like she's, a, you know, a 1930s or 40s, you know, <laughs> Shakespeare. I didn't <laughs> think of that. Yeah, that's funny. Like, it's, it's really, it's kind of funny. But yeah, she gives a great yeah. performance, but she's so likable, um, mm-hmm. which is, is just so subversive. It's, it's really mm-hmm. interesting and really exciting, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting because, like you said, there's the tropes are there, mm-hmm. but you know, the tropes of the slasher film, which wasn't even really a thing yet, yeah. are there, but they're also turned on their heads. Like, yeah. you know, cause you have the, you have the college co-head, sorry, you have the college co-eds and, and whatnot and the, the deranged killer, but mm-hmm. yeah, certain aspects of it, like you said, are, are wouldn't, what you would not expect, I yeah. would say, from well, a film like this. So. And then I wonder if watching it when it came out, if this movie would have felt as kind of interesting and compelling or if it feels almost more interesting well, and compelling now with the knowledge yeah. of what came after it. Maybe that's why, yeah. part of, or at least part of the reason why it went under the radar a little bit. Maybe yeah. people didn't know what to make of it at yeah. the time. Well, but I, now, yeah. Now, well, now it feels subversive because every time we yeah. think we know where this movie is going because we've yeah. think we've, we, we think we've mm-hmm. seen this movie a thousand times and it then it goes a in a different direction. It's yeah. like, whoa. But I'm just wondering yeah. if, you know, watching it without the knowledge of Halloween and everything that came after it, mm-hmm. if it would be that surprising or if it mm-hmm. would kind of just be like, this is a little bizarre and dark. Um, well, the big trope, and I, I do want to talk about this mm-hmm. because, so, you know, as I'm watching the film, towards the end of the, of the movie, there's a scene where, um, where the police, or I'm sorry, the lieutenant is... Uh, he finds out that the calls are coming from inside yeah. the house. Yeah. <laughs> so, Which was a little bit I, of an eye roll moment, to, well, be, to be honest. But. So it's an eye roll moment. And I actually, I was like, oh, there it is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when he said that. But then I did a little bit of, of research and I was very interested to find out. Um, so this, so it comes off as a very cliched moment because you hear, you hear that so many times. Mm-hmm. The call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. Um, you know, and you've heard that so many times at this point in different movies and, mm-hmm. and parodies of it and stuff like that. But after looking into it a little bit, um, it seems it may have actually originated with this film. Yeah, which um, is believable. So th- cause, yeah. Because this predates uh, When a Stranger Calls, because that mm-hmm. came out 1979, mm-hmm. which, is, which is usually the film widely associated with that line. Mm-hmm. Um, although the idea itself of the, the call coming from when, within the house goes back to some urban legends as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it does have like a, you know, a history, but yeah. um, as far as on film, this may be the first time. I don't know if I could definitively say that, but from what I was yeah. looking at or mm-hmm. reading about, um, it, it appears so. So that was very interesting. And again, that kind of goes back to these uh, these tropes that we think we know and yep. and all that, you know, being turned on their head. And I mean, you know, they were kind of, yeah, like ahead of the curve, I would yeah. say. Well, and trope, tropes become tropes because they're good to For begin with. You know, yeah. it's like people don't copy things that are terrible. People try to right. copy things that are really... And it is really good. It's really clever, particularly, yeah. you know, for, for then when it's like, you know, we, we didn't have cell phone and call yeah. it... Yeah, there, there's a really great so joke. that was a big deal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a really wonderful joke that I've always loved in, in Scream 2. Um, and it's like the, the main character, I believe it's, is it Sydney? Sydney or Cindy? I always get it mixed up because in the scary movie franchise, the character, I think it's I know. Cindy. <laughs> and what, but whatever, someone who sounds yeah. like that. Um, but, but she gets a call and it's the scary killer's voice, but it's the second movie. And she just is like, like, oh, hi, you know, such and such from Seattle, Washington. And it's because she has caller ID. And she's just like, she solved the whole problem because <laughs> right, <laughs> she yeah. is caller ID. Yeah, which is so, so technology funny. was already yeah, becoming oh, a problem for these movies. <laughs> although I will say the sequences in this movie of them trying to identify where the call is coming from are brilliant. Yeah, like the, the, those those long long dolly shots mm-hmm. where they're flying through all these gigantic yeah. rigs 
that are connected to the phone lines are so mm-hmm. compelling and mm-hmm. so fun. The lighting, I mean, the cinematography yeah. in this movie oh, is definitely. unbelievable. There's yeah. even, and it's, it's a thing, I've kind of grown to be fond of it. I know it's not something that's everybody's cup of tea, but you can really, really see grain in this movie. Um, like it's, and it might've just been the print that I, you know, mm-hmm. whatever upload, uh, this, I watched this on Amazon prime. Um, the, but the, the particular print, I guess, or maybe just the movie was shot. And I think they were shooting in a lot of low lighting situations, which is probably yeah. why you get that really extreme grain. And, yeah. Um, and like, I kind of love it. It just, it, to me, it just gave the whole thing, this sense mm-hmm. of movement. It's a, obviously a little distracting when you really see grain because you're, you're, it reminds you that you're watching a movie, but once you kind of mm-hmm. settle into it, just this, this grain and just this constant movement to me, it gave it this kind of dizzying effect, particularly when we were getting shots that were like lit by Christmas lights, mm-hmm. and it like wasn't clean. It was like it was like dark, and you had kind of had to strain your eyes to really see what was going on. And it just gave this film this real sense of life. I wonder, yeah, yeah, it was really, really rich cinematography. Cinematography, the atmosphere uh, is incredible. I think brings it to another level for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, one may be tempted to look at this film as just another horror movie, but I think there's a lot more going on here, mm-hmm. and definitely a film worth uh, yeah. taking a look at if you're uh, a fan of film. Yeah, or, um, yeah it's it's a lot going on. Um, so yeah, there's, so there's we talked about the tropes, we talked about Halloween. I do just want to touch on the Giallo influence again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first, I mean, I guess I just want to ask you, Jeremy, do you think there is a Giallo influence, or do you think that was coincidence or no i think there's definitely a giallo giallo influence um particularly the movie that uh, that popped into my mind i i I went through a a large giallo phase i want to say like four or five years ago at this point so they're they're a little fuzzy to me they're not super fresh in my mind but the movie blood tend to blend together yeah (laughs) they they do a little bit but but the movie blood and black lace um directed by mario bava which actually Mm -hmm. came out in 1964 so for Mm -hmm. you know a, a young Budding Bob Clark was probably right about the era when he was very, <laughs> right. very enthusiastic about discovering movies. Um, Impressionistic. Yeah, yeah it, I, I, I thought of that a lot. That's that's a movie that's kind of um, the 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 image that's kind of been sustained from that movie is this killer who wears a kind of like stocking or something over his face mm-hmm. and you can't see him. Um, yeah. But just this idea where like you're just seeing kind of as we talk about you know the the blood the the Jalo trope where you're not really seeing the killer, you're just kind of seeing, like, his... The hands. The hands. Point of view. Yeah, and point of view. And and so it felt directly in that. Also, a lot of the lighting things in that movie, there's some Mm -hmm. really great, like, deep red and green lighting cues. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that movie popped into my mind. Um, What about you? Do you have any specific examples, Mark, that you kind of... We're thinking uh, just well, I I went on a big uh, Argento kick recently, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I watched a lot of his films uh, uh, in succession, and um, you know particularly so the first three films uh, it's considered like his animal trilogy because they all have uh, animals in the title or insects. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, his first three films, so uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, The Cat of Nine Tails, and Four Flies on Gray Velvet, um, they all came out before uh, Black Christmas. Um, so a lot of his were maybe his more famous ones like Deep Red or Suspiria, um, had not come out yet, mm-hmm. but, um, there's those films to draw from. And I think those do have lots of moments, um, that I could kind of make a correlation to, um, whether or not he was, uh, you know, inspired by those films or not. I have no idea. I wasn't able to find any interviews about that or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, uh, I'm, you know, it's all speculation, but I, yeah. I, I, I figured there had to be some sort of. Because, like you said, when he was, com- you know, when he was growing up and an impressionable young y- young youth uh, or impressionable youth, he was probably mm-hmm. watching these movies and you know retaining them in some sort of, of form. You, I feel like you couldn't make a horror movie around that time without at least being aware of these films. Yeah. So, um, so maybe you know, just it kind of sunk in somehow, and or maybe he really was trying to call to mind uh, the point of view scenes from those movies. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But the, the the fact that you don't see the killer in Black Christmas is a, a huge part of the movie, for yeah. sure. So um, Absolutely. But yeah, just something interesting to think about. So there's Halloween, um, which you know did the POV after this, um, and then the Giallo films, which did it a lot before. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's hard to say, but um, you know, who influenced who or, or whatnot. But um, so, but this movie is very influential. So influential, in fact, that it has, it has uh, spun not not one but two remakes. two remakes. Yes. So one of these came out in two thousand six, mm-hmm. and I have not seen it. Um, I remember when it came out, and I, 
you know, I looked up the trailer again. I was actually kind of scrolling through a little bit and watching some of the film just to kind of get an idea of it, you know, get a feel of it. Um, and so it's directed by Glenn Morgan. And the only other film that he directed really was Willard, uh, which is another remake. Um, and I did like that film because it starred a perfectly casted Crispin Glover. Uh, and it was just like, it was so spot on with the type of character that he was playing, just a very deranged and eccentric uh, character. Um, so I actually remember kind of, you know, kind of liking that film. And so I was a little curious about this uh, remake that he did of Black Christmas and uh, checked out the trailer and some parts. And it, it seems to be a, a much more, I would say, gratuitous, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, it's also fairly generic. Um, it's more like the types of horror movies you'd see, you know, now uh, that kind of flood the the screens of movie theaters where it's just like a, a you know, group of teenagers getting mm -hmm. killed off or a group of college kids getting killed off. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it also seems to be playing up the campier angle of a Christmas horror movie a little bit. Yeah. So it's kind of, it actually has a line <laughs> where she says, Merry Christmas, motherfucker. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it it's, it's, that kind of, it's that kind of a movie. It, it's very um, mid-2000s mid horror. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's very mid-2000s horror remake, which mm -hmm. there's a lot of them, and continue to be. Um, so, leading us to the 2019 remake, mm -hmm. which is coming out very shortly, or yes. actually will probably be out by the time you listen to this. Yes. Um, now, this is directed by Sophia Takal. Takal, yeah. Takal. I believe that's right, uh, yeah. Which I have some very distant degrees of separation from, uh, because, and I didn't realize that she was the one who directed this film until I was... Uh, reading about it but so she actually acted in a 2011 film by a friend of mine called the international sign of choking and i know i knew that i had heard the name before and i i looked her up and i was like oh that's her same person um so and uh she's worked with some other new york friends of mine and stuff like that so so sort of a weird connection that i stumbled upon there which is kind of interesting which made me more uh curious to check it out and the trailer you know it's it seems it seems interesting it's um Jeremy, we were saying, because we actually watched it together before mm -hmm. this, and uh, we, we both thought it looked extremely different than yeah. the 1974 Black Christmas. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, there's, there's a movie I've been dying to talk about on this podcast, and eventually we'll find a way to do it, um, called uh, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, which is a sequel to Prom Night, but has actually nothing to do with the first Prom Night. Um, and I don't know, I haven't seen this Black Christmas yet, but it looks like it's almost a different story using kind of the same name, um, mm -hmm. which could be very exciting. Which could be cool. Yeah, yeah which it could be cool because, you know, people are innovating and films are constantly changing. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I am actually really curious to kind of see how they do it. Um, yeah. I, yeah, it I seems think, like there's like a, a conspiracy plot. Yeah, going some on. kind of conspiracy theory. Some and it kind of, of seems like more of, it kind of seems like more of like an Like an action. organization behind it or something. Yeah. Yeah, it almost kind of seems more of like an action movie though. Like it's kind of about how, uh, these people are going to fight back, um, mm -hmm. which is really exciting in its own right. Um, I think whereas this, you know, the 1974 version of Black Christmas is a lot more uh, kind of psychological. It's a lot more yeah. about the fear of what's lurking in the dark. And right. it's not about how you kill what's lurking in the dark. It's about how mm -hmm. what's lurking in the dark could come find you. Um, and I think, I think it is interesting, um, politically speaking, that Black Christmas is the movie of of all the all the movies that are being remade that is is kind of being remade of, of the slasher genre that is mm -hmm. is being remade as kind of like a feminist yeah. um film because of all the slasher movies i think this one actually kind of even though women are being murdered in this movie i didn't think mm -hmm. it felt cheap i didn't think that in this movie women were being murdered for entertainment um mm -hmm. going back to the fact that we didn't really see it i think in this movie more than a lot of the other slasher movies that have come out since um women are actually like we're made to identify with them mm -hmm. um you know it's it gets supposed and to it, be it was scary. a complex main female character as well like we talked yeah. about with the um you know the pregnancy subplot and things like that mm -hmm. um so it's almost like it's come full circle because yeah. the the original film was already putting these tropes on its head and mm -hmm. um you know we're we're looking at things from different angles and being mm -hmm. pretty complex, I thought. And yeah. then the 2006 remake appears to be more of just like a fun, uh, like you know, slasher, campy slasher all, movie. all out. Yeah. Can't be yeah. flasher slasher movie, um, set during Christmas. And then now this new film seems a little bit more, yeah, a little more action oriented, like you said, but also it does have that angle of being like postmodern. Mm -hmm. uh, at least that's what I get from the trailer uh, yeah. a little bit, um, like against the tropes of you yeah. know, the slasher movies that, that we've mostly seen. Yeah. Um, so it's, it seems in that, 
respect more in the vein of the original Black Christmas, but mm-hmm. uh, we, we shall see. We shall yeah. see. But, you know, I, I generally have low expectations when it comes to modern remakes, especially of, mm-hmm. of horror films for whatever unfortunately, reason. But yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, I always want to like them going into it, and then, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm disappointed. So, But who knows? Like we said, we shall see. Um, yeah. It may end up being great. It also, being worth lovely. noting, that this current remake is a Blumhouse film, um, which is just kind of interesting because they kind yeah. of have the market on horror films totally cornered right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there is definitely a certain style to a Blumhouse film. There's some, they kind of have a certain feeling, um, maybe with the exception of, like there, there have been a few that kind of fall outside of the horror genre, like Whiplash was a Blumhouse film, um, Get Out, which I guess is technically yeah, a horror film, mm-hmm. but I, I think is kind of more almost meant to be like, like it, it's scary, but it's really kind of more of almost of a political mm-hmm. um, thriller is how I'd put it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so, so it should be interesting seeing how, what kind of treatment this film gets, um, and all very exciting stuff because, you know, it's interesting seeing how, I, I think, I think the beauty of remakes, which we haven't actually done too many remakes on this podcast. We, we haven't no. done a ton, probably because it's cult movies the, and remakes yeah. end up kind of just being thrown away and we just watch the original over and over again and that ends up Very forgettable. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. But, but I do think it's interesting with remakes because, um, in the same way that horror tends to reflect, like horror movies tend to reflect what's going on in our culture at any given time. Yeah. Um, I think that remakes do the same thing because mm-hmm. you see what gets changed from 1974 to 2006 to 2019. Yeah. We, we kind of see how the world changes can, and how cultures changes and it paints this yeah. really interesting portrait. You can almost directly compare and contrast uh, the mm-hmm. films. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see about that. But uh, I wanted to close out this episode with uh, a question about these remakes. So, Jeremy, why do you think this film in particular has been remade twice? Like, why do you think this particular cult film um, resonates so much? Or, you know, what is it about this cult film that you um, think people are responding so to? So I have a complicated answer and a simple answer. All right. Um, I think first I'll give the simple answer. And that is that it's a horror film set on a really popular holiday that people are really into the culture of and Mm -hmm. it's easier to get people to get into the theater and make money when there's already the draw of the name recognition and the Mm -hmm. fact that it's on a big holiday um it's kind of just an easier sell than you know it's probably an easier sell than black hanukkah you know what i mean like (laughs) it's it's you know that so that that's that's the simple reason right right but a complicated reason um i think that people are drawn to this movie because it's, you know, kind of something universal. It's, it's a really kind of on its base level is a story about not feeling safe in your own space. Um, it's, it's what's lurking in the dark. It's the unknown, um, which is what a lot of horror movies play on. But I think it's also this idea, because it's set on Christmas, is that's a time that is associated with being around family, mm-hmm. you know, being peace cozy, home. peace, yeah. love, you know, literally like, which is actually something I didn't really even think of with this. But if you think about the Christmas story... Um, you, you know, you're talking about like the Virgin Mary and all of that. And like you know, the main character of this story is pregnant um, and trying to not keep the baby, which I actually, it just dawned on me how kind of crazy meta and brilliant that is. Um, but yeah, but, but I, I think, I think that threat when you're supposed to be feeling safe would for mm-hmm. me be the thing that lets this persist. Uh, what about you? Mm-hmm. Do you have an opinion on why you think this one keeps coming up? Um, well, like you said, I think there's the shallow reason of it, you know, being a horror film set during Christmas uh, with a bunch of co-eds. <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's kind of like a universal thing that a lot of people will be interested in. Uh, but then, yeah, like there's, like you said, times change and um, there's different uh, angles that could be taken on, you know, different subjects. And I think this particular story, um, I think it's pretty ripe for, you know, I don't usually say this because, number one, I usually love the original more than you know than whatever could be remade from it um so and i'm not saying i'll even like this remake i'm just saying i understand why they're going to remake it and i also understand why it was remade in 2006 because that was in the flood of many uh older horror movies that Mm -hmm. were being remade around that time um like tech you know they remade texas chainsaw massacre which is like one of my favorite horror films of all time Mm -hmm. um you know so they just but they made it a lot more generic and they kind of watered it down a lot, you know, in, in certain ways. So, um, you know, so there was that that wave of remakes, and now there's, I feel like there may be another wave, um, 
and you know in the age of reboots and and all of that um this is actually a little bit different i think um in, in sort of an interesting way um and because um you know it has more of like an indie uh feel and more, more of like an indie uh mm-hmm. you know i would say like i think the producers you know like get out and things like that are behind it i think it could be interesting um yep. so but I, yeah i think there's just something about this idea that um there can be a lot of different interpretations of. And while the original is uh, a classic and phenomenal film, I think uh, in a lot of ways, I think there are different ways that maybe it could be spun, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also maybe, you know, (laughs) people could just make a new movie, uh, a new horror film based around Christmas time. Like I, I don't necessarily feel like it has to be, Black Christmas, Black Christmas yeah, yeah. or anything like that. You know what no, I mean? I agree. I mean, but there's always that thing with it's remakes. done more for yeah, yeah and it, it's done more for marketing purposes and to mm-hmm. ha- you know people always want that name recognition and yeah. you know this is a cult film, not that it's even a, a huge film or anything, but mm-hmm. um, you know just and it's just a good name, Black Christmas. It's a yeah, good name. no, it's a good name. Um, well, so, and you also we also don't know how you know sometimes there's things with movie rights. I I think I can't remember mm-hmm. what I think it might have been uh and, and uh, in the series that we're i don't know if the episode yeah i believe it already came out um <laughs> yeah. the, when we were talking about uh return to oz yes that one um, just came out. Yep. That, and that was a movie that um they wanted to just make the movie because they own the rights mm-hmm. to it yeah. so it could be a thing too where we see these remakes and maybe it's just something where someone has picked up the rights to mm-hmm. the black christmas brand and is like right. you know screw it we already right. have the rights <laughs> we might as well make one yeah. you know we yep. might as well get one you out there it. you said it brand. um yep so um, who knows? Who knows? It's, we yeah, who we, knows? we I mean, like to complicate things, but a lot of the time I think it probably ends up being a lot more simple than we think. It could just be a, a popcorn flick. I mean, who knows? Yeah, it, who knows? And who, who knows how much it's going to actually re- relate to the original? I mean, yeah. it could be a lot or it could be hardly at all. So mm-hmm. um, we don't know. But yeah, there is something about this film. I think it's a, it is kind of like an anomaly in a way and it, mm-hmm. it stands on its own um, because Bob Clark didn't really make anything else quite like this. And because it came out, uh, earlier than a lot of films that we associate these kind of films with, so um, it kind of stands out in a lot of a lot of cool ways. So um, I guess that's gonna do it for our very first holiday special mm-hmm. here at Cult Movie Cult, and we will do one during some other holiday. Discussed it yet? But we'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, Cult Movie Cult. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult and be a Christmas on or <laughs> Christmas. Be <a> Christmas. <laughs> and be a Christmas. <laughs> officially join the cult and be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long for the other side, and happy holidays, everyone. <laughs>